resembles a vase, that's accurate. But it's not a vase. All right. Now, look at it. Now what do you see? Now there is a vase. Do you still see the profiles of the faces? They don't jump out at you like they did before, however. So one of the things that it's so critical to understand is the brain is not always accurate. It's trying to make sense of things against what it knows. And sometimes it's not exactly accurate. But when it happens in our brains, we think it is. And if somebody has a different opinion, we try to get them to believe ours because after all, my brain must be right. And it may not be. All right, I like to start with this when I do this section because that's just what we've been talking about. Our brains are more alike than they are different. And it doesn't matter if it's age or gender or um, brain lead or any of that stuff. We are members of the same species. We are more alike than we are different. But having said that, no two brains on this planet that we have ever checked are identical in structure, function, or perception, not even brains of so-called identical twins and triplets. So that means that everything I'm sharing with you is filtered through my brain, just like the research was filtered through somebody's brain. And I sometimes laugh when people want to debate whether it's hard science or soft science. Give me a break. Every scientific experiment is filtered through somebody's brain. And the results are filtered through somebody's brain. So we do the best we can doing the research and explaining it, but every brain will often have a slightly different perspective. And that's not right or wrong, it's just the way it is. So that's the, that's the piece of brain research. But a fact is just a fact until you apply it. So here's a couple of applications. First of all, stop expecting any other brain on this planet ever to understand yours. It is not going to happen. You don't even understand yours. If we understood our own brain function, we would be consistently successful and have often, or if not always, positive outcomes. And secondly, you remember the Apostle Paul told us to avoid foolish argument, meaningless controversy. I don't remember which is which. Foolish, meaningless argument, foolish controversy. Here's the results from large sample studies. When people argue, at least one of the brains thinks it really knows. It thinks this is a vase. And it is so sure it is a vase that it wants everybody else to believe that. And if the other brains don't concede that his or her brain really knows, then they often try arguing or try persuading or try a little coercion. Maybe even some threats. And maybe that other brain will finally get it. So if you get this piece, you just had your last argument. I cannot remember when I last argued about anything. I don't have the time and energy for it. I'm perfectly happy to share my opinion with you. I'm equally happy to listen to yours if we have enough time. But I'm so clear. That's all we're doing is we're discussing personal opinion. I had, I had a lot of fun with this not long ago. I think I'll digress. I mean, we started late anyway. Might as well digress and tell you a story. Uh, the equipment had a problem. If it was female, I'd say PMS. But I don't think equipment is male or female. So I was doing a presentation to 250 firefighters, all males, as so it happened, no women in this group all big, and I had started with this slide and made the comment that every brain is unique, 
No brain has ever been found to be identical in structure, function, or perception. And the older we get, the more dissimilar we become because every thought you think changes the structure of your brain. Nobody ever thinks the same thoughts. So there was this hunk in the back. I'm not so far over the hill, I can't recognize a hunk. (laughs) And he took exception to what I was saying. He goes, Dr. Taylor, you're wrong. I said, I may be, and what particularly do you think I'm in error? He goes, we're 250 firefighters. We always think the same. I said, really? And I could have let it go. But he was so cute and so sure of himself. And I have found that looks and brains do not always equate. So I decided to have just a little fun with him. So I said, okay, I'm going to give you one word. I want you to create a picture in your brain of a representation of that word. And then, you know, if you're right, all 249 of your other colleagues will have the identical picture. Oh, sure, he says, lay it on me. I said, all right, here's the word, dog. Gave him a second. I said, what did you picture? He goes, a great Dane. I looked at the group and I said, how many of the rest of you pictured a great Dane? How many hands went up? None. He looks around, he goes, what do you mean nobody else pictured a Great Dane? I said, they're your colleagues. Then they started doing the work for me, and it was just so rewarding. (laughs) One of the firefighters said, Great Dane, um, puppy or adult? He goes, adult. So now he corrects his picture. He goes, what's the color? Black, brown? He says, brown. Now he corrects his picture. You know, that's what communication can do. We never get anything like another brain, but we can sort of get it if they give us some hints. Uh, He said, how big? Oh, he says, 37 inches at the shoulder. So they're starting to get a picture that more nearly resembles his. It's taking time. And finally, one of the guys says, male or female? And the hunk goes, I don't know. One of his colleagues says, well, look. (laughs) So we go through this process, you know, and he goes, oh, well, hmm, that's interesting. I thought so. So I said, all right, now here, we're not going to spend any time on this, but I do want to call this to your attention. I just gave you the word dog. You've all seen a dog. Has everybody seen a Great Dane? Yes, they all had. I said, now, I'm just going to reverse the word. Now it becomes God. You want to talk about what God looks like? You haven't seen God like you've seen a Great Dane, and you couldn't even get it with a Great Dane. But we are so sure that we know. And it's pretty dysfunctional. All right, so understanding more about the brain in general is going to be helpful, but the more you can apply that to your own brain, that's where it really starts getting exponential. I like this quote, not because I like what it's talking about, but I think it's very indicative of what's going on in the world today. There's never been a true war that wasn't fought between two sets of people who were certain they were in the right. The really dangerous people believe they are doing whatever they are doing solely because it is, without question, the right thing to do. And that's what makes them dangerous. And as time progresses on this planet, I think we're going to see that acted out more and more and more. All right, this morning we started talking a little bit about what you see in your brain. I just want to make a couple more comments because if there was only one thing you took away from today, it would be start only speaking positively. So the brain thinks in pictures. This is an example. If I say to you, if I give you a positive instruction, it's a one-step process. 
So if I say to you, pull a picture up in your brain of your favorite flavor of ice cream on your favorite style of cone, you've got it instantly. Everybody got something? Yeah, if we wanted to take time, there'd probably be no two pictures exactly alike. But if I say to you now, don't think about the ice cream cone, that requires a two-step process. There's a don't here in a negative, And that means this is really not what we want you to think about. We want you to think about something else. But that's where the problem comes. Not only is it hard for the brain to try to think about the opposite, but what is the opposite? Every brain is different. So we give kids negative instructions. They do their best to convert it. It's, all, it's very difficult for adults, almost impossible for kids, but they try. And they don't get the exact opposite. Now what do we do? Punish them. Whose problem is it? The person who gave the instruction. So affirmation is considered the programming language of the brain and the fastest way to get a clear picture in your brain in that third layer. Now here's what we call a triune brain. Here's a cutaway of the brain. This would be the forehead. If you cut it right through my nose straight back, you would see chunks of tissue. You wouldn't need a, a microscope. Pulled apart. I just took, this is a, a scan of a real brain. I just printed it out, cut it out, and to show you the three functional layers. This is considered the first layer, the cerebellum and the brain stem. This is the, the middle, second layer, the limbic layer or the emotional brain. And this is the cerebrum. There's no conscious thought in first and second layers. This is the only place you get conscious thought. So the second you get some type of thought, your brain immediately turns it into a picture. These first and second layers cannot use language. They do not use language, but they can follow the picture. And whatever picture you create, that's what the first and second subconscious layers follow, and they push you toward accomplishing whatever that picture represents. They may not convert the picture, even if there's a don't. One of the examples I sometimes use is this. I'm sure you all grew up being told, don't touch the stove. Now, the first picture your brain creates when you hear, don't touch the stove, is what? Touching the stove. Excellent. And there's a don't. But most of us touched the stove several times, even though we were told don't touch the stove because we weren't able to do that conversion. It's ridiculous to tell people to do something like that that might hurt them. How would you say don't touch the stove affirmingly? That's a description of what would happen, but what would be the instruction? You could say touch anything else but the stove. You might not want them to do that. <laughs> Depends what else is available. Now, see how we struggle with this because we've got years of negative programming? It's very simple. Keep your hand away from the stove. What's the picture? There's the stove. Where's your hand? It's away from it. Now, that doesn't mean they won't touch the stove. Some brains just do their own thing. But when you do large sample studies consistently, you come out with about an 85% increased risk of people doing a positive instruction. And an 85% risk of doing exactly what you didn't want them to do when you gave them the negative instruction. That's pretty high odds. If I told that kid once, I said it a million times, don't stand near the edge. How would you frame that into a positive instruction? Stand back from the edge, stay away from the edge. 
any, any number of ways, but we lose kids all the time, literally and metaphorically, because of the way we have instructed them. So you want to always tell your brain what you want to have happen. Never avoid talking about what you don't want to have happen. Just put right into working memory what you want to have happen. And if you're talking to yourself, you want to always speak as if it's a done deal. You've already got it together. I learned this firsthand not too long ago. We have a a health center where people come in that want help with health and thinking and all kinds of things. So we had this woman come in who was about my height, 27 years old, weighed 523 pounds. Okay, that's called morbid obesity. What does that mean? Uh, you're going to be history pretty soon if you don't do something about the weight. So we asked her, you're only 27. What's the reason that you weight 523 pounds? Uh, well, she said, you know, I just heard your addiction lecture, and I realized that I'm addicted to dessert pies. She said, I've eaten on the average of two pies a day for the last 10 years. Oh, my goodness. Just think of all the fat and the sugar and everything else. So this is what she says. I don't want to eat two pies a day anymore. What's the picture? Eating two pies a day, absolutely. I said to her, this is not going to work. Tell me what you want to eat when you want a treat for yourself. Well, actually, what I did, I went down to the kitchen and had them bake a pie, a beautiful blueberry pie. We put her in a double-wide wheelchair, had three orderlies push her out to the rose garden. We dug a hole and buried the pie. That really physically hurt me. Because <laughs> if I do eat pie, I like a couple bites of blueberry. But I wanted her to see this is dead and gone. This is this behavior is over with. So she said, well, I think uh, I, think I like um, blackberry sherbet. I said, okay, fine. This is what you say. It's my birthday, and today, so as far as I got, and she said, it's not my birthday. I said, work with me, woman. It's my birthday. I'm eating a scoop of beautiful blackberry sherbet in my beautiful silver bowl. I eat it slowly. I savor it. I feel good. You do that every day till your birthday, and you've got an 85% chance of eating blackberry sherbet for your birthday instead of two pies. So go home and think about what you're telling yourself. If you joke with yourself, get up in the morning and go, oh boy, I feel another bad day coming on. Your third layer will get the joke quotes. Your first and second layers will not. They will make a picture of whatever a bad day looks like for you and do everything in their power to help you achieve it because it's in working memory. Most of us, many people, are totally unaware of their thoughts. You ask them, what are you thinking now? And they go, I don't know. Well, look, there's a picture there. Just start learning to be aware of your thoughts. They're just thoughts. They're not, they may not have anything to do with you. They may have something entirely to do with things you heard people say to you, but they might not have anything to do with you. I think I told you this morning that my mother told me, you're not smart enough to be a doctor. And I believed that for years. It's just a thought. Hers. I could have changed it very quickly if I had known this then. It took me a few years. And they certainly do not necessarily reflect reality. That was just her brain's opinion. So when you become aware of a thought, and we don't cause all our own thoughts, but the minute you become aware of it, say you get a thought, I'm incompetent and unrespected. Well, it may be true, but it may not be true. So first of all, alter your relationship to the thought. Oops, there goes that unhelpful thought again. That's all it is. It's an unhelpful thought. Now, 
you want to alter that thought in working memory. Because if you just say, oh, there goes that unhelpful thought again, your subconscious layers will keep following the, the picture of I'm incompetent and unrespected, whatever that looks like. But if you immediately follow that with I'm capable and gaining respect, you change the picture in your brain. All right, let's talk about brain maturation because I really have fun with this. I actually asked the, um, the firefighter how old he was. He was 22. I cut him a little slack. All right. The body matures much more quickly than the brain. So you know here's the two halves of the, of the brain. They're about the size of your two fists put together. If you have very large hands, avoid getting cocky because size is not what makes you smart. Some of the people with the biggest brains are classed mm, at the moron level. And Einstein had a very small brain, very small brain, relatively speaking, and he was brilliant. So if you've got really little hands, don't feel bad. So three or four bridges connect the two hemispheres. The largest one is called the corpus callosum. It is the most studied of any of the bridges. It is not myelinated. Yeah, you turn, are you familiar with the term myelination? Myelin is the brain's asphalt. Just think about a paved road in the real world, and myelin is the brain's asphalt. And it has to pave the axons of the neurons, you know, millions of connections across that bridge. They have to be paved before you really get good hemispheric thinking right and left hemisphere. That's not done till age 20 or 21. And until it's paved, that brain is always at risk of shorting out, believe me. What does shorting out look like? It looks like a behavior that someone whose brain is myelinated goes, what were they thinking? Well, they weren't. They probably had a short because the, everything wasn't paved yet. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is this prefrontal cortex right up here behind the forehead where you've got working memory and willpower and goal setting and morality and all of that stuff. It's not done till mid-20s. That is really pathetic. And that's another question I have to get clear someday. Because we make life impactful decisions with brains that aren't done yet. My dad was a preacher. I don't know if I told you that this morning, and I'm sometimes loath to tell you that because preacher's kids have such a stereotype. I'm a preacher's kid, and I could not understand how come Christ delayed his ministry on earth till he was 30. What a waste of time. He could have started when he was 15 and think how much more he would have gotten done. Now that we learn about the brain, maybe not so much. Because until you've got that ability to finally discriminate with that prefrontal cortex, you know, you make decisions that um, don't always work for you. For example, I got married when I was 19. Was my corpus callosum paved? No. Was my prefrontal cortex done? <laughs> not even close. I think I got married because I grew up hearing my parents say this, don't get married before you graduate. What's the sequence of pictures? Get, there you go. You know, they did the best they could, but unhelpful. Now, if they had said to me, graduate before you get married, a different sequence of pictures and I probably wouldn't have gotten married at 19. But, you know, I'm following the first picture I, my brain saw and couldn't understand why they were underwhelmed with it. Of course, my brain wasn't done yet, so I could have made a much better choice. And so now we look at people who, my, one of my best girlfriends got married when she was 15. She had three children by the time she was 18. I don't know what she was thinking. I mean, her corpus callosum wasn't, done, her brain wasn't done, and she's trying to train these other brains. A child cannot raise a child. But 
you know, that's what happens. And then many religions, when somebody makes a choice like that and it doesn't work for them. Now, occasionally it does. I know people who got married very young. They've been married 60 years. They say they're happy. So I have to take their word for it. But I know far more who got married and have just, you know, gritted their teeth and are bearing it, trying to hang in. You know what they've done? They've just provided a wonderful role model of a dysfunctional marriage to the next generation. So I don't know what the answers are except to try to tell people, slow down a bit. Don't be in such a hurry to do something that's going to impact you the rest of your life. Because what, ha- what I see happening is somebody makes a really unfortunate choice and it's a horrible marriage and they go see the pastor of some denomination and he says or she says, you made the choice, you, you know, you made your bed, you're going to have to stick with it. And there can be two or three years difference in maturation levels, so a brain who is 27 might be done and another brain might not be done till 28, 29, maybe even 30. And the male brain takes longer to mature. All of you women with a female brain who think someday you might want to get married, listen up. 1.6 years longer. And that's not because they're stupid or slow. It's because more has to happen to turn the default brain into a what we call a male brain in our culture. And one of that, one of those pieces is they, males get a set of binoculars behind their eyes that women don't get, which is really, really helpful. They can see much farther than women can. Of course, they can't find anything up close, but then that's what we're for. (laughs) PET scan studies. They were asking people to do a variety of questions, answer problems, and so on. And they began to notice that if the individual was age 21 or older, they tended to stay up here in this third conscious thought layer. Such a deal. If they were below age 21, they tended to downshift into the emotional layer because that part isn't done yet. And then they noticed that it didn't matter how old the person was. If they started the question with the word why, everybody downshifted. Everybody went down to this reactive emotional layer. Because at least in the English language and many of the Western languages that I've asked people about, if you ask somebody why they did something, that's just enough to create some anxiety and the brain begins to move down in brain function as soon as it doesn't feel safe. So if I look at Dr. French and say, why don't you have a tie on? What does that imply? He should have done something different. And that's just enough for most brains to start downshifting. And if the, if the adult doesn't downshift or the person asking the question and the other one does, now you've got third layer thinking getting bypassed with second layer thinking. And I think that's where most of generation gap happens. Adults are always asking children, young people, why? Why did you do that? Why didn't you do that? And the brain can't answer the question why. So the young person says, I don't know. And the adult says, well, that's no answer. Do you realize how dysfunctionally we communicate? And we didn't even know how bad it was till we got PET scan studies. All right. Get why out of your vocabulary. Stop asking other brains why. They can't answer it anyway. They can give you some idea of reasons, maybe, but they cannot answer the question why. There's lots of ways to find out the information. When I I married a man who had three little boys. They were one, four, and five. One, two, and three when I started dating him, and three, four, and five when I married him. I grew up being asked why, starting with, why weren't you born on your father's birthday? Why were you five days late? I should know. So I realized I was asking these darling little boys, although I'm not recommending what I did. I'm just telling you what I did. I mean, that was a stretch to suddenly become the instant mother of three. 
they kept telling me, but mom, you avoided all the diapers. Yeah, that's true. But, so I asked them a lot of why questions, and I decided I was going to stop it. So I told them, I'm getting why out of my vocabulary. And here's the deal. I'll put, the, I'll put a piggy bank on the dining room table. And if I ask you why, and you catch me before I catch myself, I'll put a quarter in the piggy bank. Six months from now, we'll go get you your favorite pizza. Pizza's not the best food in the world, but, you know, it's just a 90-10 rule in my life. Once in a while, you can have something if you really like it. They said, good deal. Those were bright little boys. We had pizza three times the first week. <laughs> so ask yourself, what are you saying? All right, neurons. You all know about neurons, so I don't have to digress to describe them to you. Is that an affirmative? Okay. So the neurons in your brain, we believe, form the basis for IQ. Don't get too excited about IQ. It's just a measure of intelligence. The more interesting thing, I believe, you all know that every cell in your body probably changes itself, divides and multiplies every seven years. The neurons never change. You have the neurons you had pretty much when you came out the chute. So that's the reason it's really critical to take care of your brain because you, the neurons you have are what you've got and what you will have to take you through older age. And if you damage them, they're not really stellar in healing. They're stellar in communicating with each other. They're not stellar in repairing themselves. So researchers say they're arranged in the brain in fields of about a million neurons per field. And they're all vibrating at the same frequency in a field. I think that's fascinating because now we know that we can pick up the vibration in neuronal fields in other brains. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Because they act as neurotransmitters. They send and receive their frequency potential. So when you meet somebody for the first time, see somebody across the crowded room and your heart begins to go thump, 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 all that means is your brain recognized some commonality of frequency from that other brain. It does not necessarily mean you want to take them home with you. That's all it means. So that's the reason that's the first thing we teach people in addictive behavior programs. Avoid any romantic involvement with anybody that gives you a flutter because your brains are just recognizing commonality of frequencies. Would you really want to hook up with someone who's got the same kind of problems you're struggling with? That's nuts. But it happens all the time, even when you warn them. Now, conversely, you can meet people and don't feel any connection with them. That's not good, bad, right, or wrong. It just means that you're probably not picking up any commonality of frequency. That doesn't mean that you can't learn to work with them well. You don't have to like people you work with. Now, that's a male-female difference. Men don't have to like people they work with. Women have this cockamamie idea that they need to like everybody they work with, so get over it. I was, I was consulting at an organization not long ago, and a man was running a department of largely females, and he said, I need help. He said, I just hired this new woman, and half the department doesn't like them, and they say they can't work with them. He says, what am I going to do? And I said, well, let's go talk to them. So we had a little chat about you don't have to like people to work with them. You just work with them. You don't have to take them home. And as you work with them, you know, you might find they have some giftedness. All right. You know that your heart has neurons, but it is a subconscious organ, so you don't consciously think with your heart the way you do with your brain. You have to let that information filter up to the heart, and the neurons in your heart, and the least number that have been counted so far, and this little tiny organ is 40,000, 
They form the basis for emotional intelligence. And we're talking about that, I think, Saturday afternoon. And 80% of your success in life is due to your emotional intelligence. Your IQ accounts for 20% at most. You've got neurons all through your GI tract. We didn't know that till fairly recently, probably at least a million. Plus, in your gut, your enteric nervous system, stomach, intestines, you have 90% of all the serotonin that's in your brain and body. And you got half of all your dopamine. We used to think that only that was in the brain. No. So, of course, if you get upset, you often, if your stomach gets upset, you get a headache. They're communicating all the time. If you get upset emotionally, you often get a GI upset, diarrhea, cramps, constipation, whatever. If you get too much serotonin, well, that can trigger nausea and vomiting. Now, irritable bowel syndrome is being considered an enteric neuropathy. And so they're treating that very differently. All right, let's finish up with uh, a couple of communication mysteries that I think are just amazing. You know, white blood cells are part of the immune system. So they take some volunteers and take a little swab, you know, a, a, a stick with gauze or something on the end, and they scrape the inside of the person's cheek and scrape off some white blood cells. Now they put those white blood cells in a test tube, and they hook it up to um, electric monitoring equipment, very much like you would to get an electroencephalograph of the electric activity in your brain. Now they take the person, the donor, and they take them away from the site where the white blood cells are. And they've tested this from 5 meters to 12 kilometers. So now they're on the phone with the donor, and the researchers are looking at the white blood cells. And so they instruct the donor to think about something that happened in their life that made them just livid, just really angry, and feel that emotion of anger. And within a couple of seconds, the white blood cells that are 12 kilometers away are going bananas. Then they say, think of something that made you really scared and frightened and try to feel the emotion of fear, and the white blood cells go bananas. They're 12 kilometers away from the person. Do you understand when you allow yourself to maintain protective emotions like anger, fear, and sadness, you are majorly impacting the white blood cells in your own body? We don't know. We do not know what kind of energy is going between the donor and his or her white blood cells. We're still looking for what energy that is, but they're communicating. When the donor was asked to think pleasant, happy thoughts, there was no change in the white blood cells. They were calm, not upset, amazing. So that's one reason that your emotions dictate how healthy your immune system is. Are you familiar with the word pheromones? All right. Pheromones are secreted maybe in the nose. We're not sure. But they can trigger a social response in the same species. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Here's one that I think is just amazing. I love these studies. So they take a little rat and they put it in its cage in a nice environment, and it's got plenty to eat, and it's got things to play with, and it's just as happy as a rat can be, which is pretty happy. And I might also tell you that the rat brain is very like the human brain in many ways, so it makes a wonderful research brain. Some people don't like to hear that, but, but it's true. So they've got this little rat, and it's very happy. They take rat number two... And they take it clear on the other side of the building. There's no communication, unless maybe something through the air ducts. But there is no communication between rat number one and rat number two. Now, it turns out that rats seem to have an innate fear of snakes. Maybe their mothers taught them. I don't know. But we think it's innate, like 
you know, homing pigeons have an innate ability and migratory birds have an innate ability. We've got some innate abilities. So rat number one, they bring a live cobra in and put it right near the, the rat's cage. And believe me, it goes flaming ballistic. It is shaking and squeaking and flying all over the cage from side to side. It is just about ready to have a heart attack. What do you suppose is happening to rat number two? The exact same behavior. Exact same behavior. That rat doesn't see the snake. We don't know how they're communicating. They are communicating. And rat number one is telling rat number two, watch it. There's a lethal enemy here, you know, and I'm just terrified. And that rat is getting the same response as the rat that's right next to the cobra. Women who live together in dormitories. This is a happy thought. After a few months, begin to synchronize their menstrual cycles. You know, that could be a good thing. You know, they could get all the um, angst over with, you know, pretty much together and then have a couple, three really good weeks. <laughs> Women who work together in uh, large companies, especially if they're in cubicles where there's a lot of women in the same room, give them a year, they'll synchronize their menstrual cycles too. And we think that's pheromones. Don't know how it's happening, but it's fascinating. Babies. This is research done on preemies because preemies used to be dying at a pretty high rate. And so finally they learned, well, maybe we should let the mother come in and reach into the incubator and touch the preemie and hold it. Well, you think? It's used to that body. And then they thought, oh, well, you know, we've been given the baby formula and it hasn't been doing very well. Maybe we should have the mother pump some breast milk and bring that in. And as soon as they do that, the preemie starts thriving. And then they learned about pheromones. And they said to the mother, we're going to give you a little, a little, um, I don't know, flannel felt packet. You know, just a little thing. And we want you to put it against your skin while you're pumping your breast milk. Bring it in with you when you come to the hospital. So now the mother comes back to the hospital and the preemie is just lying there not doing too well. And she puts her hands in and begins to touch the preemie and it begins to, you know, do better. And then they bring in the mother's milk and they start having the baby drink the breast milk and it even starts sucking better. And then they bring in this little pad of cotton and they put it on the baby's chest. It's amazing. The blood, the uh, heart rate slows down. The blood pressure slows, uh, lowers. The baby just relaxes and really starts to suck and drink that milk. Amazing. We don't know, we don't know what it is, but it's there. All right, let's finish up with electromagnetic energy. And I know some of you are going to think this is Star Wars stuff, but it isn't. It's a form of radiation energy that the neurons in your brain, body, wherever they are, put out continually. Different studies show different ratios, but I found one study that said that in that study, the Electromagnetic energy generated by the heart neurons was 5,000 times stronger than generated by the brain neurons. It leaves your body at the speed of light. It affects everybody that comes in contact with you. It's measurable. It's easily measured out to about 15 feet. If you have a really sensitive piece of equipment and it's within three feet of your body, it doesn't even have to touch your body, and it will measure your electromagnetic energy. You can take pictures and see this electromagnetic energy around a human being if they're alive. I don't personally see it. There's Every once in a while you meet somebody who says, you know, I can look at a person and I can see that energy wave and it may be they may be able to because different brains can do different things but I've looked at many holographic pictures 
and they look very different. I looked at one person and there was this beautiful about 12 inch wide energy pulsating around their body of many different colors. It was just beautiful. And I asked the researcher, do they all look like this? Oh, he says, hang tight. I'll show you some more. The next picture he showed me, there was about a three inch black, dark um, energy around that person. And I said, well, tell me the difference. He said, well, this person is really, really chronically depressed. Very sad all the time. And he said, if you're around that person for very long, you can start feeling their sadness. And you can see it on the picture. So it's really amazing. Now, here's what I'm going to leave you with because it's, a, it's an amazing research study. Person A, put them over on this side of the room, hook them up to a machine, get a pattern of their brain neuron M energy and a pattern of their heart neuron M energy, and there'll be two different patterns. Put person B on the other side of the room, do the same thing, and now you get two different patterns. So you've got two people, four different patterns. So far, they've only done it with people who care about each other, who like each other. It would be interesting to see what happens if they hated each other, but I don't have that experiment yet. So now they bring the two people together and say, hold hands, put your arm around each other, something like that. Touch the other person. And then they start watching what's happening. And it's just spine tingling. First thing that happens is person A the brain wave synchronizes to the heart wave because remember the heart energy is stronger. Person B, their brain energy synchronizes to their heart energy. Now you've got two people, two patterns. Give them another 30 seconds and what happens? You've got one pattern. Two people that started out with four patterns now have one pattern. It's extremely powerful and we're putting it out subjecting other people to it all the time and being impacted by their electromagnetic energy. Now, the Bible and Ellen G. White are very clear that children loved to be around Christ. They wanted to climb on his lap. And, of course, the disciples initially were not too excited about that. We know that children and animals are extremely sensitive to electromagnetic energy. So Christ's must have been wonderful because you can watch children and they don't want to be around some people. And you need to pay attention to that because they're picking up something that's probably not too good. I learned very early on in our marriage, well, I, I thought it would be nice if the boys had a pet. So I went and bought this darling little black poodle, female. Who do you suppose she fell in love with? My husband, if he wasn't home, you know, I was okay. But boy, if he was home, I did not exist. But I learned a lot from that. I learned that she knew before he got home from work what kind of day he'd had at work. And I paid attention to that. So if she's at the garage door going, <laughs> it's a good day, I'm, I'm good to go. If she disappears and hides under the bed, I crawled under with her. <laughs> he was not coming home with good electromagnetic energy. And I don't know how far away she could sense that, but she'd be at the door seconds or minutes before he came home, and he didn't always come home at the same time. So I would just go join her under the bed, and we'd give him a while to get his electromagnetic energy in order. And then we'd come out. So, Well, do something, Doc, will you? Man, 11. Okay, I only got one or two more slides. Thank you. So, uh, do you get this? That's another reason that I really pay attention to who I spend my discretionary time with. I want to spend time with people who are putting out good electromagnetic energy because if they aren't and I take it in, then I got to get rid of it. And that's not helpful.
Have you ever walked into a room and sat down in a group, felt a little uncomfortable, got up and moved and felt better? I bet you were sitting by somebody putting out negative electromagnetic energy. So quantum physics says that it is never destroyed. That is a very scary thought for me. Because I'd like to tell you that my entire life, I have always had positive mental thoughts, positive communication, and positive electromagnetic energy. Because we only know so far that there's two kinds. Positive thoughts, you get positive electromagnetic energy. Negative thoughts, you get negative. I can't tell you that because it would be a lie. And I told you this morning, lying suppresses immune system function, so you want to avoid that. It is my purpose now to only put out positive electromagnetic magnetic energy because my energy is impacting yours. And I don't know where it all goes when we leave this room. You know, sometimes I've thought, is the United States so dysfunctional in general, putting out so much negative electromagnetic energy that we're responsible for what's going on in Pakistan? Who knows? But the question is, what are you putting out? Because it is affecting you first. Remember, the white blood cells, you're affecting your own cells first, but you are affecting the cells of others. And I really would hate to think that any time now that I might do something that would contribute to somebody else having a bad day. So spend a little time thinking about your, your mindset. Are you thinking positively or negatively? What are you putting out and how is that impacting other people? And how are you allowing other people to impact you? You know, when somebody shows up in my office and they're really upset about something, I want to be several feet away from them. And sometimes, you know, I back up and they follow me and I go, stop. You know, I understand that you're angry about something and I'm willing to go through that with you, but I want you over on the other side of the room so it's impacting me as little as possible. And they go, you're kidding. And I said, no, I'm not. So let's talk. So sometimes we don't always get to choose who we are around, but when you can, start being aware of what's going on in your body and if you think some pretty negative electromagnetic energy is coming your way, ah, you might want to take a walk. All right, that's it for tonight.